Okay, so as you can see on the screen, if you have a church Bible, um, it's on page 758 in the red Bibles and 1080 in the black Bibles. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I deeply miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, and I pray this that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defence of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. Thanks, Helen. Bit of a cousin tag team up here tonight. It's awesome. Um, Well, thanks for having me again, guys. Um, I am going to use a handheld because I do walk around a lot, and I do apologise for that. My mum always said if I was in any other family, I'd probably be ADHD, but all the kids are like this, so we just deal with it. Um, so, well, thanks for having me, Greg. Thanks for having me back. This is the second time I'm speaking, so I must have, must have uh, preached too much heresy in that first sermon. So thanks for having me back. Um, I love coming back here uh, to Pitt Town. I love seeing uh, this community in particular. I, 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 see, it, I see glimpses uh, of what God is doing in this community at Arndell every single day uh, as the assistant chaplain. And again, just seeing the mission team up the front today uh, just warms my heart to see... Um, the youth that uh, you guys are developing and you guys are sowing into and encouraging and equipping because uh, those guys who are up the front, and I know there's a couple of you uh, sitting down as well, um, they're going to be the next leaders and they're going to do a great job. And we should never stop empowering and equipping uh, those youth to run the world because they're going to do that one day. It's going to be amazing. And they're going to do it in, with Christ's love. So it's really, really encouraging to, to see that uh, at this church, which is, which is awesome. Um, and I start off... 
in, in that way, talking about uh, encouraging people and encouraging the youth. Uh, because I, firstly, I love doing that. Um, I think we really need to encourage one another. And the Bible talks about encouraging one another and building each other up. And that's something I'm really, really passionate about. Um, and secondly, I think that's the heart of the Holy Spirit. That is the heart of God wanting to build us up in absolutely everything that we do. And for us to pursue Christ wholeheartedly, that is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, to build us up and to ensure that we pursue him. And if there was a man on earth that did this, if there was a man on earth that pursued Christ with everything that he had and encouraged everyone in his life while doing it, and that, that was the Apostle Paul. He lived an extraordinary life, a life where he literally paved the way for us as the church. And he encouraged his, his churches that he planted in every single letter that he wrote. And so tonight, I have the privilege of opening up Philippians uh, for the very first time in your series. And uh, it is a privilege that we get to look at the book of Philippians. It is an amazing book, and I'm so expectant to hear what God will do through this series. Uh, every time I read Philippians, uh, God reveals himself to me uh, in, a, in a new and exciting way. So my prayer this series for you guys is that he'll do just that. And I'm excited and expectant to, to see uh, what God is going to do through this series. But when we think about Philippians, and Pre touched on this earlier, uh, Paul was writing this in jail. He was, he was locked up. He was in chains. He was writing this letter to the Philippian church, the people in Philippi, that he had planted on his secondary, second missionary journey. And you can read about that in, in Acts 16, about how he planted that church. And the key thing uh, Paul wants us to understand in the book of Philippians, the key thing in this whole book is that we, should, we need to focus on Christ alone. Our peace, our joy, our comfort, and our salvation. Paul is saying to the Philippian church that everything comes from that. Everything comes from the man of Christ Jesus. Our joy, peace, comfort, and our salvation. So that's what I want you to continually think about when you're going through Philippians, that everything is about Christ. And that's what he's encouraging the, the Philippian church uh, to, to do, is to focus on Christ as, as their cornerstone in the church. And so as we get to chapter 1, there's so much in this chapter. It's, it's ridiculous, really. And they've broken up, and even the first 20 verses, you could have a whole series, a sermon series in these first 20 verses. I'm going to do the best I can. I uh, hope you got your Bibles open to Philippians 1. Uh, we're going to go straight into it. Uh, there's a lot to get through, as I said. If you, if you want to write notes, write some notes uh, in, your, in your notes app if you want, or pen and paper like the good old days. Um, but to start off, relationships are so important. And we've, already talk, we've talked about this before in the, in the mission uh, sort of as they were sharing. And if you're any one of my students sitting down, if I've talked to you about uh, ministry, if I've talked to you about evangelism, you know this is my key thing, that relationships are so important. Because in my opinion, Christ-centered community is what makes the church distinctive. A community that seeks Christ makes the church the church. We wouldn't be the church if we weren't seeking Jesus Christ and wanting to know him more and more and more. That's what makes the church distinctive. And the bedrock of community are relationships. Relationships are important. 
Mark McCrindle uh, does some research in, in social research, and, and he says this, the greatest attraction to investigating spirituality and religion is knowing people who live out a genuine faith. The greatest attraction for people to come to church is knowing you guys, is knowing people who live out a genuine faith. So in short, the way that we live and how we relate to others actually speaks louder than words. That is the greatest evangelistic tool you can use, is living your life as an authentic Bible-believing Christian who's sold out to Jesus Christ no matter what. And so relationships are so important. But why so often do they go wrong? I know uh, you, you, you have stories and you may have um, witnessed it yourself. You may have experienced a time when relationships can just go so wrong, where friendships can be torn apart, families can be torn apart, communities can be torn apart because of something, right? And I think we can all think of situations, and it hurts me to say this, but we can think of situations where the church in general has actually repelled people to the faith, repelled them from the faith, rather than attract them to Jesus. And it hurts me to say that. And just a quick story about this. Two weeks ago, my, my sister got married to the man of her dreams. It was an amazing ceremony. Amazing ceremony, amazing reception, and they'd been, they'd been together for five years before they got married. Um, but the first two years of their marriage was, from their perspective, they would say this, it was, it was hell. Uh, for, because of certain circumstances, their friends inside the church abandoned them, left them alone, didn't speak to them, didn't want to hang out with them, and they felt completely alone. They felt completely isolated by the very place that was meant to accept them. I'm not sure what you're going through right now. I'm not sure what you've witnessed or what, what's happened in your, in your backstory. But I can imagine you know a similar story where the church can sometimes get it wrong. You see, we're created for relationships. Genesis says this, right? In, it's not good for a man to be alone. We're created for community. But why is it that some people still feel left out as a result? Why is it do people still find themselves on the outer? I think the devil is so smart in this. If we're created for relationships, of course the devil is going to try and tear relationships down. He's going to try and tear communities down. He's definitely going to try and tear the church down. And so for Philippians 1, I think Paul is speaking specifically in to this, into community, building a Christ-centered community, one that is based on Christ, as I said. But you see, when I read Philippians 1, I think for the first time, it revolutionized my, my, how I viewed relationships and the community inside the church. See, I read Philippians 1 for the first time when I, when I became a Christian. And yes, I got some stuff out of, out of it. But over the last two years, this passage has changed the way I view relationships inside the church. You see, Paul was separate from the Philippian church, yet the partnership you, that you read about feels almost tangible. The community that he has with that church, even though he's in prison, is almost tangible. You can feel it in the, in the pages of the Bible. And you're going to see this as you work your way through the book. But tonight, I want to illuminate five truths 
about what Paul wants us to know about genuine community and partnership in the gospel. Five things that genuine community looks like. As the church, I think we still have a fair way to go in this regard. Firstly, we need to recognize the process. Recognize the process. Join me in Philippians 1, 3 to 5. I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, these first three verses, they show us something very clear about Paul. He is genuinely outward focused, genuinely wants to know and love the people in his life. We see this. It says, I always pray for you in all my prayers. He genuinely praises God for his relationship with those people. And he's praying for them time and time and time again. I don't know how often you guys pray for the people in your life. I suggest that sometimes we're too focused on ourselves. I know I'm I'm a culprit of this. We pray for what God can do in our lives. We forget to partner with people in prayer in, in their lives too. And this is what Paul is doing. But the reason why Paul has this conviction to pray for other people is because he recognizes the process of sanctification. He recognizes the process of being transformed in the likeness of Christ. It says here that he who began a good work in you, that's God, will carry it onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, Paul, is, is, with these words, is demonstrating that life is messy. We know life is messy, but God is faithful. faithful. Life is messy, but God is faithful. Paul brought the gospel to the, to the Philippian church, but he didn't expect that they're going to have everything sorted straight away. He didn't expect that the next day they're going to be a perfect community who has no problems, no sin whatsoever. No, he definitely didn't expect that. It's a process that we can see in these verses. It's a process that he is confident God will complete. I think we can learn so much from this. So I've, I've learned a lot of things over the last sort of 15 years uh, at being involved in the church and There's a clear theme that can sometimes happen, and it hurts me to say this. And, you know, someone comes to Christ, and it's amazing, and we pray for them, and we walk alongside them, and we we celebrate with them. We say there's a party in heaven, and it's amazing, there's cheering. And then we go back into our daily lives, and life gets messy, and life gets hard, and sometimes we forget the process that God is doing in that person. We forget that God is still working in their heart. And we expect that they'll have everything sorted straight away. We expect that as soon as you, you commit your life to Christ, then your old life is done and you're, you're done. You're, you're ready to go and you're going to live a perfect life for God and you're going to be the best Christian ever. Uh, and when they stuff up, we don't extend them the same grace that Christ does. I know I've been caught up in this as well. We sit back. And we look on and we, we sort of judge them as they make mistakes. And we're like, oh, I know they've committed themselves to Christ, but should they really be doing that? It's happened in my life. It's happened in my church. It's happened in numerous churches I've been involved in. And I think we've fallen short in this. But imagine a community that recognized the process 
everyone is on, the journey that everyone is on, and that walked alongside people, like Paul is walking alongside the Philippian church no matter what. You see, chapter 2, 12 to 13 says this, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We must recognize the process God is doing in others. But also, we've got to be encouraged about the work God is doing in our lives, in your life. I don't know your situation. Maybe you're, you're sitting there thinking, you know, I'm not where I want to be in my, in my Christian walk. I'm not where God wants me to be in my Christian walk. And look, you, you're probably not. But God is still doing a work in your heart. God is working powerfully through your life. And all you have to do is, is just lean into that. And know and trust that as it says in, in 2, uh, 12 to 13, that he is going to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And it's going to be in your life too. So even though sometimes we don't feel like this, God is still working in our hearts. But why is so Paul so passionate about recognize, recognizing this process? He's so passionate about recognizing this process in other people. It's because he acknowledges unity. That's the second thing I want to talk about. Acknowledge unity. Uh, verse 7 to 8 says this. It's, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whatever, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, Paul understands that people fall short. Because he recognizes that he does too. All of you share in God's grace with me. That's what he says. He recognizes that he falls short as well. Now, it's easy for us to think about Paul's life. Saul, the, the Christian killer, is now Paul, the disciple maker. And he, God did a crazy transformation in his heart. One that showed God's powerful transformational character. You see, it's easy for, see, for us to see God working in Paul's life. But Paul knows where he has been. He knows he's been down that path and he had, was, a, was living a life of sin. And now he's confident and he has an acute understanding of where he's going. He knows where he's been, but now he knows where he's going. And when we share in community with one another, we have to acknowledge that we're all on the same level. We're all on a level playing field, and that's grace. None of us are better than anyone else. I'm not better than any of you. In fact, if you really knew me, you'd understand how much more I need God's grace daily. You see, whether, when a community sees that they all fall short, there's no hierarchy. There's no behavior where they stand back and go, oh, you know, they're not living the way they should be, or they should be doing this. They shouldn't be doing that. There's no hierarchy. It allows authentic partnership to take place where everyone is contending to be more like Christ rather than pretending they don't need him. We need to contend to be more like Christ rather than pretending we don't need him. Paul longs for his brothers and sisters with the affection of Christ, love and grace. He does this 
because he understands his own dependence on grace. He understands that he falls short. So of course he needs to extend grace to other people. Imagine a community that collectively acknowledged their dependence on grace and sought after Jesus together, united in that grace. The third thing that we see here is to fight for growth. And we see this in verse 9 to 11. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, and so, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's so clear that Paul wants nothing more for the church, but to know Christ's love so deeply, so intimately, that it transforms their life. We know that he acknowledges the process that God is doing in their life, but he still encourages them to seek God wholeheartedly with everything they have. You see, there's, there's a bit of a tension here. There's the tension of knowing that the Spirit is at work in our hearts and knowing it's only the Spirit's work that can transform our lives. But at the, on the other hand, at the same time, we need to pursue Christ with everything we have. There's an action involved in pursuing Christ with everything we have. And when we do this, our lives are changed forever. The Holy Spirit works in our lives as we're pursuing God more and more and more, listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, following his guidance, getting into the word and transforming our lives. You see, how do we get this knowledge and depth of insight that Paul is talking about? I know you hear this a lot, and I know it can be frustrating to hear it again. But we need to pursue God and we need to read his word, plain and simple. A community that is in God's word is going to share God's love abundantly. And Jerry Bridge, I read this book called The Pursuit of Holiness. Uh, Jerry Bridges wrote this book, and it's probably the, one, the, the best Christian book that I've read thus far. Um, I know there's a few more to go in my life. Um, but Jerry Bridges, in The Pursuit of Holiness, says this. In all of our thoughts all of our actions, and in every part of our character, the ruling principle that motivates and guides us should be the desire to follow Christ in doing the will of the Father. The ruling principle that guides us should be the desire to follow Christ in doing the will of the Father. You see, that's what a Christ-centered community should be doing. That's what Paul is talking about when he, he wants the church to, be, to know God more intimately, more and more. But how do we follow that? Well, Jerry Bridges says this, and I think this is spot on. If we truly desire to live in the realm of the Spirit, we must continually feed our minds with His truth, the Bible. If we really want to live in the realm of the Spirit, if we really want to know God more and more and more, then we must continually feed our minds with His truth. We get so many messages from so many different uh, platforms in our world. The news, the paper, social media, everything is telling us truth, what they think is truth. We, we, we pick up these messages from everywhere. We need to stop. And we, we need to be guided by the truth of God, which is the word. Imagine a community 
that encouraged each other to pursue Christ like this. Not so it would fulfill some religious standards, no. So that lives would be transformed. So that people would know how great God is. This means getting into the trenches with one another. Life is hard. And we live in a world that doesn't want us to know God. We live in a world that doesn't want us to read the Bible and they'll throw all sorts of arguments at us and sometimes it can be hard. And we need to journey alongside each other. We need to be a community that supports and equips people to grow in their faith. We need to recognize the process, acknowledge unity and fight for growth. But when we partner with each other, when we partner with each other in the gospel, sometimes we must, un- we must have to understand our place. I want to elaborate on this a little bit. We've got to understand our place. Verse 12 and 14 of Philippians 1 says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that, this, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is one of the most phenomenal verses in the Bible, in my opinion. It demonstrates the outward-focused nature of Paul's character, but it also demonstrates just how clearly he understands God's plan for his life. You see, he's in a diabolical situation. He's in jail. He's he's chained up. He's locked up. And from the world's standards, that is horrendous. From the world's standards, that is the bottom of the, the lowest of the low. You cannot get lower than locked up in this jail. And you see, instead of being bitter and angry about it, instead of sending hate letters to the, you know, the Roman government or hate letters to the people who uh, are continually uh, speaking ill of him, he, he doesn't do that. He uses this to encourage believers. He uses this to build other people up. You see, instead of being bitter and angry that he was thrown into jail, he understands his place in God's plan. He understands his place in God's plan. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, he says. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul knew that it was absolutely necessary for him to be in chains in order that people would know the power of Christ through his perseverance. His imprisonment, the fact that he was in prison enabled other believers to be confident of, in the Lord and proclaim the good news. They saw his perseverance and they thought, you know what? The same power that is in, is in Paul through the Holy Spirit is in me and I'm going to go share the gospel. He was in chains encouraging people to share their faith. In short, he laid himself down in order that others could be built up. He laid himself down in order that others could be built up. Sounds pretty familiar. But what would it look like for us to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others? What would it look like for a community that laid themselves down in order to build others up? What can I suggest is probably not going to be imprisonment or torture or anything like that. 
But it is probably going to be something like this. Standing up and supporting someone at school for getting teased for being a Christian. And standing in and stepping up and saying, no, I'm not standing for that. No matter how much that's going to cost you socially. Or it could look like giving up your spare time, even in your holidays if you're a uni student or if you're a full-time uh, at full-time work, in giving up time in your holidays or your afternoon to journey alongside a younger Christian, to walk alongside that mentor. Mentorship is so important. It's so important in the church for older brothers and sisters to walk alongside younger brothers and sisters, no matter how much time that's going to cost you, no matter how much money that will cost you, take them out to coffee or take them on, on holidays. It's so worth it. Or possibly it's, it's choosing not to upgrade the house or not to upgrade the car so you can use that extra money to invest in the church or to invest in organisations that share God's love. What would it look like for you to lay yourself down in order that others are built up? For Paul, it looked like being in chains and sending letters and encouraging the church that way. For us, what does that look like? Paul knew the cost he had to pay so that others could grow. And he paid a mighty big cost. His whole life was devoted to this cause. And in Philippians 1.29, at the end of this chapter, it says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's part of the Christian walk. Laying yourself down so that others can be built up. Imagine a community where sacrificial love was at the heart. Imagine a community where that was the, the marker of the church. The church lays themselves down to build others up. See, the last and most pivotal point regarding genuine partnership, this is the most important thing that a Christ-centered community can do, and that's number five, to celebrate Christ. We must celebrate Christ. Verse 16 and 18, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. This is the most important aspect of developing a community that authentically partners in the gospel, that develops a community where people want to come and join in. We must not forget the reason we're all here. We are only here because of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We are only here because of the grace extended to us because of Jesus and his sacrifice. See, that is the only way we can live in community because he's made a way for us to be individually redeemed and individually set apart. And because of that, he's made it possible for us to redeem relationships. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can redeem the relationships. We can redeem community and bring Christ into it. You see, what the devil is trying to tear down, we have the power to build up. The devil is trying to tear relationships down, trying to tear the church down. But if we focused on Christ, we can build them back up. 
You see, a lot of the time, even I, I can get caught up in the details, worrying if I've said the right thing or interpreted the passage the right way. And we can spend so much time debating hot topics. We can spend so much time on, on Facebook or in our discussion groups or whatever, just debating the, the hot topics, the gray areas of whether or not Kanye West is a Christian. But when we do this, we run the risk of missing the point. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection is the most pivotal fact of all. We need to rejoice in that truth and build our community upon that foundation. And when we do this, lives are changed. When believers get together and focus on Jesus, purely on him, lives are changed. I don't know how much time I have, but I'm going to tell a story to finish. Last week, I was away at a young adults conference for the leaders of my young adults team at church. There was only 10 of us who were up in Copacabana at Steve Mann's place up there. Um, and we were, all we were doing was just praying, and the theme for the weekend was to seek God, to seek intimacy with Jesus. And so we were doing that all weekend. We got to a point on Saturday afternoon where we were just singing praises, singing worship songs, and then praying. So we are praying over someone, and we are just in, spending time pursuing, pursuing Jesus and, and, and praying uh, that for each other. And when we were praying, we heard something outside. There was a bit of a debacle ha- happening outside and it ended up there was a, a girl who was hitting her boyfriend uh, and saying all sorts of colourful language and he ended up having to go into his car to try and protect himself and she took her thong off and started to hit the car and he was protecting himself. And I was sort of praying, but one eye on that and one here and it's it a bit of a weird uh, situation. Uh, and then the young adults minister at my church, Sam Hayward, said, I'm just going to go out and, and check on that guy. And so he went out and he checked on, on Geordie, his name was. 20 minutes later, Sam comes back and he comes back with Geordie. And he goes, hey, guys, this is Geordie. He's just going to spend the afternoon with us. He's having a bit of a rough day. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, he's had a, he's had a real rough day. <laughs> we all heard it. We all saw it. Uh, and so he just hung out at our place for the afternoon. He... We had lunch and he was just sitting at the corner of the table at lunch, not talking. And then I was talking about school, talking about the fact that I was a teacher. And he started opening up about his life, about how he'd been kicked out of school, three schools. Um, he actually came from Penrith and he was up at Copacabana for a holiday. First time he'd ever been there. It's the first time I'd ever been there. Holy Spirit was working in that. Um, and he just started sharing about his life, sharing about how... Um, his father had committed suicide and his mum was telling him that that's what he's destined for, that he's just going to be like his father. And it was just within a matter of 10 minutes, we just knew his life. And then we just started sharing about our life and sharing about how we found God's love and sharing the gospel and the, our past that was with us. So minister just laid out the gospel straight for him. Um, and he just said this question, he said, Geordie, do you want to accept Jesus into your life? Do you want to live a life that's focused on Jesus, that will give you purpose, that will give you comfort? And he said yes. And we got to pray with him as he, uh, as he gave his life to Christ. And we looked, then we linked him up to a church 
uh, MBM, um, their youth pastor who's, who's hanging out with him and involving him in the church. And I wanted to share that example, not to say, oh, how good's this community, but to say the only thing, we had all year in our young adults community, all year we had been, uh, we'd been trying to put these massive events on to, so that people would come in, would share the gospel, and like, oh, God's going to do amazing things, amazing things through this big event. The moment we stopped and pursued Christ together was when the Holy Spirit just went, bang, here's someone. And Geordie sent us a text the other day. He said, thank you so much for literally saving my life. He said, I prayed for the first time the other day and it felt real. Um, And that just warmed my heart. And I want that to encourage you guys because a community that seeks Christ will transform lives. So what is genuine partnership? Well, it recognizes the process we're all on. It acknowledges the unity that we have in grace. It fights for growth. It understands humility and sacrificial love. And lastly, it celebrates and focuses on the transformational power of Christ Jesus. I don't know what your week looks like. I don't know what communities you're involved in during the week. I know uh, you're you're sowing, sowing into this community. That's amazing. But let's all of us pursue the genuine partnership that Paul has with the Philippian church. Partnership that lays themselves down to build others up for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for all that you've done in our lives. We thank you that you have transformed each and every one of our lives. That you have come into our life. You, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, we have been transformed from, from sin and death to life and grace. And we thank you for that. But Lord, we pray that as a community, we can be seeking you together. We can be walking alongside each other, building each other up. Not worrying about the, the times that we fall short, but focusing on grace and encouraging each other to pursue God with all that we have. Father, we thank you that we can come together and learn from your word, and we pray that we'll leave this building as transformed people. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.